Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything. I'm Max Burns, Democratic strategist and Sirius XM contributor, sitting in for the great John Fugelsang. We're taking your calls at 866-997-4748. So come on and join the conversation. But first, I want to talk about this Republican debate, and particularly the one candidate who kept talking and talking and talking, Vivek Ramaswamy, the first-timer who seems to be everywhere in the media nowadays. And like any good infomercial, he's using his time in the spotlight to try and sell you junk. And I thought it'd be fun to take a minute and just go over a few of Ramaswamy's great ideas, like this one. Here's Vivek Ramaswamy talking about what won us World War II. And it wasn't our troops or our leaders. It was polio. Listen to this. With every other kid who's growing up in this country as well, does that mean that one of the 25% of kids, and it is that high, who are born into fatherless homes or raised in fatherless homes today don't have a shot at achieving everything that I have or people like me have in my life? No. No. In fact, if I'm speaking to one of those kids, I will say that in your unique experience, there is still sources of strength that you will be able to find. It doesn't have to be exactly what mine was. Would we have gotten out of world? Would we have won World War II if FDR didn't have polio? I don't know, actually. I, I just, it's a weird question to ask, but but I don't know. I mean, but does that mean we wish polio upon every U.S. president or every citizen because that's how we protect ourselves? No. And so both of these things can be true at once, that when you encounter hardship, you don't have to be victimized by it. You still can derive at an individual level fortitude from it, because if it isn't the two-parent household, then it can be something else that grounds you, but that also should stop us short of saying, oh, well, because somebody else can do it or did do it, that we should wish polio in the FDR analogy case or a single parent household in the case of a quarter of people in this country's case upon everybody else. No. 
it, it, it's like an episode of Veep, folks. I mean, would we have won World War II if FDR didn't have polio? I don't know. That's an interesting question. And I thank myself for asking it. But I, I love that even Ramaswamy admits that his little thought experiment is weird. Like, why don't you ask Mitch McConnell how he liked struggling with polio as a kid? But, you know, at least Ramaswamy takes the bold position of not wishing polio on every U.S. president. And this idiot is in second place in Iowa. I mean, what really Ramaswamy's taking this strong stance on polio, but he doesn't believe in requiring vaccinations, which is, you know, how we beat polio. But probably the craziest thing Ramaswamy's pushing is this idea of stripping voting rights from 18 to 24 year olds by a constitutional amendment. But he's not all bad. He's willing to let a few of them vote if they can pass a civics test and prove they understand how government works. Now, that's pretty rich, because if you caught the debate, you'll see that Ramaswamy had no actual idea what he was talking about when he answered a question about freedom. He confused when the Constitution was written with when the Revolutionary War happened. He said they were written at the same time and that the Constitution helped us win the war when in reality it came into effect a decade after the war. So by Vivek's own logic, he'd be disqualified from voting. And it, that's actually pretty fine. It's not that he votes anyway. According to NBC News today, Ramaswamy voted so rarely that he isn't even affiliated with a party in his home state of Ohio. He didn't vote in 2008 or 2012 or 2016. And then he skipped the 2022 and 2023 primaries too. I guess he was too busy doing his day job, which apparently involves fighting wokeness or brainstorming about polio. And if that's not enough, guys, he also says he'll fire 70 percent, 75 percent, sorry, of the federal workforce, a group that's made up almost 50 percent of military veterans. So good luck telling people you support the troops when your first act as president is kicking combat veterans out of their jobs. And what he's doing is most likely illegal anyway because those civil service workers are protected from political retribution by law. See, the government specifically anticipated a guy like Ramaswamy and put safeguards in place to make sure he couldn't do whatever he wanted. But there's actually a darker side to all this because we laugh, but Ramaswamy's not funny. Here he is on Meet the Press over the weekend talking about the shooting in Florida and talking about how it's offensive to politicize a mass shooting while also kind of blaming trans people and Democrats. Listen to this. I think there are more race-based uh, violent crimes on the right than on the left. Why is this a little more pervasive, a lot more pervasive on the right? Well, the fact of the matter is, I think that there's a lot more violence that's also pervasive in parts of the country that supposedly are left-wing voter bases. So I don't think this is a left versus right issue, and I don't think we should try to politicize this through partisan goggles either, Chuck, especially in the wake of a tragedy like this one. The fact is there Do are you ignore more the manifesto? men dying on the south side of Chicago. Do you ignore the elements that, that? allowed this manifesto to, to spread online and that what we're, you know, it does feel as if social media well, the f connects some of these hate, hateful ideologies. 
Well, the fact of the matter is I do think we have two standards that we're even applying if we're having a conversation about manifestos. We still have not yet even seen the manifesto of that transgender shooter in Nashville of a Christian school, and yet here we're focusing on the motive. So if we want to look at this through a politicized lens, let's look at what the political media and the political establishment is doing differentially in how they analyze different crimes and then create a new narrative around it. Yeah, I, I hate to tell you, Vivek, but I think the guy who politicized this shooting was the gunman who painted swastikas on his AR-15 and wrote out a big right-wing manifesto about his anti-Black rage. But you really see there the latest evolution of this GOP line. Like, we're not even going to do useless thoughts and prayers anymore. Now people like Ramaswamy don't want us to talk about right-wing violence at all. And for the record, that manifesto he's talking about from the shooter that he mentioned, is not a manifesto. It's a diary that even members of the school and victims' families have said they don't find particularly helpful to have released because people like Ramaswamy will do exactly what he's doing right now. But we're going to jump to some calls here before we chat with uh, Arthur Parker Malloy about this, who has some really thoughtful insights. But let's jump over to Stephen in Kentucky, who also has some thoughts about all these mass shootings we're facing. Hello, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's nice to hear you on this evening as well. Um, I was uh, watching my uh, daytime serial this afternoon when, in fact, the um, North Carolina situation popped up on television. And um, I, I don't it's just another one of those tragedies that, uh, you know, it, it leaves you in shock. It does. Obviously, it shouldn't since it happens so often. And then when you were talking just a moment ago, I think that uh, they should call him Ra Rama Swampy because he is the swamp. And you were just mentioning his voting record or lack of it, perhaps. You know, I can't believe he, he wants to give civics tests to these young people, and yet this guy doesn't know his ass from his hole in the ground. I was watching a little bit of that the other night, and, you know, I, I guess it doesn't dawn on him. He, he wants to uh, pander to lily-white racism. Does it not dawn on him that they hate him as well? <sighs> you know, let's just be honest about it. I mean, you know, so is this all about the idea? Um, I remember in that movie Saturday Night Fever, I believe John Travolta's character said to one of the other characters, well, it was it was the Hispanics in the film. I don't know if you remember that film or not, but remember they had some yep. actors who were dancing to the song uh, KG in the film, the salsa dance. And I believe that they made some disparaging remarks John Travolta's character did afterwards. And he said, well, this one shits on this one. This group shits on that one. And it's like a repetitive cycle. And it seems to be that. And it just demonstrates to me um, I'm for Biden and Harris, 10,000%. I was for Kennedy earlier on, but he's a fruitcake, he is. And these other people are fruitcakes, too. And I, I even waited for, uh, what, uh, what's his name, uh, oh, uh, Chris Christie the other night, you know, to uh, chime in. Of course, he's the biggest windbag of them all, one of the biggest windbags, talking about how he's going to take down Trump and take down DeSantis and all. When, when did he yeah. actually do that? And yet raised his hand when asked if he would support Donald Trump if he was the nominee. So there goes all of that courage out the window. Well, you know what they should call it? They should call it the um, 
Repub- uh, the Democratic donkey meets the Republican jackasses because that's exactly what these people are. They they have no agenda. And I I actually contacted my representative this afternoon, and I had quite a few things to say. And one of the things that I don't understand is how these individuals, who, by the way, work for us, not the other way around, but why in hell Kevin McCarthy allowed them to go on recess in early August when, in fact, they should have their asses over there in the office doing work to promote gun control. I don't give a rat's ass anymore about the NRA. They can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned. I'm more concerned right now with the fact, and I've seen that Second Amendment, and I'm going to say it again. That Second Amendment, and I would love to see anybody challenge me on this because I have a sharp tongue and I don't mind calling it as I see it. That Second Amendment says, it does not say explicitly or implicitly that everybody has the right to own a gun. It does not say that the certifiable have the right to own a firearm. It does not say that a law-abiding citizen has the right to own a military-style assault weapon for protection. It doesn't say that at all. That is an abuse. And when are we going to finally have legislators with the moxie to stand up and start passing legislation against these individuals who abuse their constitutional rights? Why don't we have any penalties against them? We wouldn't be in this mess right now with Donald J. Trump if we would well, do fortunately, that. Well, fortunately, I think we're we're getting to this point because we see the NRA previously, the biggest gun rights, wealthiest gun rights group in America, is now basically bankrupt. They can barely afford their rent. A lot of, a lot of gun owners have realized that these people are nuts. And, and I mean, really the are. reality of it is, I'm not sure we want Kevin McCarthy's Republicans back in Congress doing work because the only thing they seem to know how to do is this Hunter Biden sham they're not going to get in line and pass gun rights legis- or gun safety legislation. They, they've kicked out everyone in the party who knows how to govern. So maybe it's best if they just take a long vacation and leave this to the Democrats. Well, maybe it's time we get, uh, and I've said this to my congressperson too, what would stop a lot of this crap? Because I'm going to tell you, for years we've had to put up with all this stuff with these hate groups hiding behind their First Amendment. I'm sorry, we're coming up to the 60th anniversary in September of those four little girls that were killed by the Ku Klux Klan in Alabama at that church when they were practicing in the choir. Now, you cannot tell me that that is protected by the First Amendment. That is domestic terrorism, pure and simple. And I'm going to tell you what would stop all this crap uh, would be if we get an anti-domestic terrorist uh, bill, piece of legislation that would be passed by a Democratic White House, Congress, and the Senate – and I'm going to tell you, if we, and we need to make sure that it's enshrined so that nobody can come back later on and try to overturn this. Because if we do Absolutely. this, we, the, these individuals that would be getting 46 years in prison, not 46 months in prison for doing January 6th, and I'm not kidding around with this either. I think the time, and I live in the South. I've seen people in the Ku Klux Klan before I have, and, you know, they can talk about how they're so disenfranchised. I happen to be white myself, and I, uh, and by the way, I love when they talk about white and black. Well, actually, uh, my, my uh, skin tone is peach pink colored tone. It's not white or I'd be Casper the Friendly Ghost. And I don't know of anybody who is African-American who has black skin. They have chocolate, caramel, or tan-colored tone. They don't have black. 
I don't know what. Well, we are. Mind. We are certainly not looking to the GOP for nuance on this. But I really appreciate your call, Stephen. And and honestly, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's far past time that we pass domestic terrorism legislation. Problem is, that's going to really cut into the Republican base because a lot of these people are already locked up for their last round of domestic terrorism. Now, let's jump to one more here before we we uh, jump in. Let's go to Norm in Tampa, who also has some thoughts on the GOP debate. I'm having fun talking oh, about this debate. How oh, are yeah. you? You know, when you look around and you look at, I hope you can hear me, you look around and you look at the, um, the Swami, uh, uh, Ramaswamy, I'll have to get his name here, but they'll let. Anyway, his job was to do what was necessary in order to get him through the next day. And he did accomplish that mission well. I mean, they keep, keep your mouth open and let the media get attention. And the next day he finds himself on the press. So that was his, his goal. As far as his substances, his substance, then, uh, you know, we need to pay attention to that. As we need to pay attention to what uh, Mr. DeSantis Bird, uh, Mr. Mr. DeSantis's substance is about. And in terms of that, we, I published an article, I just sent it to you, called Message from DeSantisburg that talks about, you know, that Florida, he, he may not be a Donald Trump, but he's certainly a hydrogen board, and he has adopted that philosophy or that thinking of eugenics and the thinking of, uh, of, 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 of apartheid or, or uh, uh, the South African apartheid thinking, and uh, to the point where this, this state, is now an apartheid. It's, it's now an apartheid state. In fact, we want to say Florida is now what is now South Africa's past, and we see this in eliminating you know, the the atrocities that have taken place in the state. We look at his education program. It's very similar to the bamboo, the Bantu education program of the South African government. You know, we we look at the atrocities that took when he wants to eliminate black history. You know, we talk about alligator hunting. I always go we go back to that one. You know, how little black babies were used to hunt the alligators in Florida and Florida alligator population and crocodile population is nearly wiped out. How many we never ask the question, how many little black boys and girls sacrificed and were murdered through these atrocities? You know, this is the kind of stuff that when you and I black history, this is the kind of stuff that, that we're talking about. The Alfred Fred Dozier School for Boys. Look at that article I sent you in from my blog and our group has written. It's called You Are Within the Norm dot com. Message from the Sattisburg, the goodness of slavery. Oh yes. And uh I'll uh, I'll do that, sir. Humanization. I just said it to you on your Twitter and uh, uh and so it just Read some of the and the pictures. There are pictures in here. It's nothing that we're making up, you know. That these atrocities and stuff. And this is where Sanders is taken. He's taking it. I'm definitely. I'm going to share it around. But we have to jump for a break right now, real quick, and then we're going to come back here with author Parker Malloy. And by the way, that's a good point. My Twitter is at the Max Burns. Send me your thoughts. We'll be right back after this. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few 
All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back, friends. You're tuned into Sirius XM Progress and Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang. I'm Max Burns, sitting in for John. Well, he gets some much-needed rest. Now, we were just talking about presidential campaign equivalent of an Herbalife supplement salesman, Vivek Ramaswamy. And as fun as the guy is to laugh at, he's also an extremist, anti-trans, anti-democratic nutcase. And the things he's proposing are anything but a laughing matter. And my next guest has been a real leading voice in highlighting just how destructive Republican rhetoric has been to the transgender community, to the gay community, to really everyone who isn't a Republican. Parker Malloy is an award-winning writer who's published all over the place, including at her also award-winning substack, The Present Age which has some of the best political insight around. I encourage you to check it out. She's recently written about everything from Ann Coulter penning a New York Times op-ed to the many failed efforts of Republican transphobes to dehumanize trans people at the ballot box. And we are so lucky to have her joining us now. Parker, welcome to the Night Shift. Max, it is so great to be here. (laughs) So we've been buddies on Twitter since the olden days. And let me just say, it really is an honor to have you here. You've been a real light in sight on a, in a dark time for trans rights and for the country. And I'm sure our listeners are really curious to know what you make of Vivek Ramaswamy trying to blame trans people for the Florida white supremacist shooting. Yeah. So so basically what happened with that was he was being asked on on Meet the Press. Chuck Todd was asking him about the the manifesto, the quote unquote manifesto of the Jacksonville shooter and that being motivated by racism and he pivots to be to saying why aren't we talking about the nashville trans shooter and referring to the march shooting at uh the covenant school in nashville and the shooter was possibly apparently maybe a trans man so there was that and so for months Republicans have been kind of beating the drum. Where's the manifesto? Why can't we see the manifesto? Why are they hiding the manifesto, et cetera? But I mean, let's, you know, start with the basics. No, police don't typically release the manifesto to the public after a mass shooting. And, you know, whenever a shooter's writings do make it to the public, it's because the shooters themselves have posted it there on the internet somewhere. You know, in um, in May 2022, the shooter in Buffalo, New York, posted 
a 180-page screed to 4chan, 8chan, and a bunch of Discord servers. So for a very brief window of time following that, the general public could pretty easily find the manifesto. I sought it out. I downloaded it because I analyzed these things and, and look at them and look for patterns and all that stuff. Uh, but within a couple of days, those links started disappearing and they were being taken down and there weren't any news outlets that were promoting them. There was no, here's the Buffalo shooters manifesto, go check it out. You know, when we, when we talk yeah. about mass shootings and we talk about motivation, this is one of those areas where we really do just more or less for better or for worse, take police, but take the police's word for it. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes unless it becomes a big case that you know gets gets talked about but you never see them just release a manifesto to the public because all that does is tell other shooters here's how you can get everyone on the planet to read your writing and so anyway so i was very frustrated by this because you know all the release the manifesto stuff you know the jacksonville shooter they they did not release the manifesto I mean, what happened was the Jacksonville sh Sheriff, uh, TK Waters, he, during a news conference, he said, you know, quote, that the shooter targeted a certain group of people and that's black people. And they know that based on the writing that they saw, the markings that were on the gun and other stuff like that. But in the case of the Nashville shooter, you know, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Director David Rausch told reporters that it was a mischaracterization to re even refer to the shooter's writings as a manifesto saying that there weren't any ideological expressions in them and that they had no known motive. So that's kind of, that's what's been happening. But what happened immediately after the Nashville shooting back in March, two weeks later, Donald Trump spoke at the NRA convention. And here's what he told the crowd. He said, upon my inauguration, I will direct the FDA to convene an independent outside panel to investigate whether transgender hormone treatments and ideology increase the risk of extreme depression, aggression, and even violence. I think most of us already know the answer. So <laughs> right there, he kind of tell, tells everyone what this is about. This is about taking an instance where a sh one shooter may have been trans and using that to try to enact some sort of anti-trans policy as a whole. And, that's, and that, that really is so sort frustrating. of the end game. I, that, that really is the end game here. And we know that this, this rhetoric never stops at rhetoric. It always metastasizes into some kind of violence against these communities that are being vilified. I, I think 2023 has been a terrible year for the safety of trans people. We've already seen, by one count, at least 15 transgender or nonconforming people murdered. And the U.S. is third in the world for killings of trans people. I mean, what are other countries doing to address this that we aren't? I mean, that's the that's the scary thing, really, honestly, is is it seems like the anti-trans movement is kind of a, a global thing right now. You have the the, you know, outwardly authoritarian countries, you have Russia, Hungary, you know, uh, th those sorts of, of countries that are enacting explicitly anti-trans laws. Russia just recently enacted a law that makes it more or less illegal for trans people to uh, access healthcare, to change their legal documents, and to more or less exist. 
And so you've got that, but then you've got other countries that are also taking some steps backwards. You have the UK being very, very weird about trans rights generally as well. This is kind of, this is everywhere right now. And and that's part of why it's so scary because all of these things are built on how, how the, how the media, how, you know, what you see on the news, you know, what they tell people about trans people, because trans people very rarely get a platform to go on meet the press to go on cable news. You know, these are, these are very rare occasions and it's, it's kind of scary because all of this stuff is happening. All of these laws are being pushed. All of these, narratives are being formed and they're not being formed by trans people or necessarily by things that trans people do it's just them picking things up and going yeah we're gonna make this our big focus right now i mean nothing has changed in how trans kids medical treatment has you know evaluated in the past decade or so it's it's all pretty much the same but it's because the past two years they've decided to make it sound like, oh, trans activists are trying to trying to turn your kids trans and trying to, you know, groom them and you know all this stuff. That's just it's so frustrating because I don't know how how do you push back against that, you know? And it's the same thing like when I when I criticized um, the the comments from Meet the Press yesterday, I had people going, "Why are you defending the Nashville shooter?" And I wasn't defending the Nashville shooter. I think yeah. the Nashville shooter is terrible. Obviously, I don't. I, I just I'm I'm defending trans people as a whole because when people say the trans shooter, like what is that supposed to mean? What is that supposed to tell people? You know, if if someone is a is is white and they're a white supremacist them being a white supremacist has to do with an ideology being yeah. trans is not an ideology it's just how some people are yeah and that's it's people existing yeah and you know and and one of the things that that would come up a lot that was pushed on the right and was was talked about in trump's nra speech was this idea there were there were some graphs that uh donald trump jr of course the the genius of the family. <laughs> um, he was posting on, on Twitter saying, you know, oh, look at look at how disproportionately high all the number of the number of shootings being committed by trans people were. And it listed four different shootings taking place dating back to 2018. And two of those shootings are kind of in doubt whether the person was actually trans, but even if you count all four, that would be four out of 3,561 mass shootings in that time, which comes out to 0.11%. So oh, it's we, one we of all things- know Republicans struggle with numbers. So that's, <laughs> if you're just tuning in, uh, this is Tell Me Everything. I'm talking with writer Parker Malloy about the life and death challenges facing transgender Americans and how we try to build a better future for our most marginalized communities. Now, Parker, I'm actually very curious. We see these Beltway DC consultants often telling Democrats to avoid what one memo calls, quote, thorny social issues like transgender identity ahead of 2024, which to me sounds like they're just saying ignore trans people while Republicans beat on them. And I'm curious how you process seeing something like that coming from Democrats who should be defending these communities. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating because, you know, I, I am trans. So this this does affect me and it, it takes a toll on me because I see this stuff. And I think that a lot of people have this idea 
that the that the issue that trans people have right now with how things are going is that things aren't moving forward fast enough. But it's not that's not what it what it is at all. And Chris Geidner over at his really great um, law dork Substack yep. had has this this piece about how misguided that sort of thinking is about this of 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 how the idea that it's it's trans people being upset that we're not moving forward fast enough but really it's a rapid move backwards you know some some of these policies that are being put in place are more restrictive of trans people's rights than they have been in decades or ever you know a lot of these things just you know, have, having to have teachers get permission if a student wants to go by Joe instead of Joseph. That was something I saw today that, you yeah, know, based the party on of small government. Stigma. Yeah. You know, so, so you have that stuff and things are being taken backwards really fast. And, and there's a lot of reflexive, you know, you'll you'll see journalists at The New York Times go, well, no, no, we, we're just we're just trying to find answers to questions about about trans kids and, and medical care for trans trans kids or trans trans women competing in sports. But really what it all comes down to is it's like trans kids that that doesn't affect me trans like trans people competing in sports that doesn't affect me and i think that if you talk to 99 percent of trans people they would say no those things don't have anything to do with my life why are we being attacked and why are they using those issues to attack trans people being able to just sort of exist in peace i mean there are people in florida who thanks to ron DeSantis and his policies that he's he's put in place there in the the you know the surgeon general of, of florida has has tried to enact there are trans adults who are having their refills for hormones denied uh, in in missouri they they tried to enact what uh, essentially would have amounted to a full ban on trans adults accessing healthcare. So anyone who tries to say that this is, oh, we were, we're just talking about fairness in sports or we're just talking about kids. No, they're talking about adults. They're attacking adults. They're criminalizing trans, trans adults. And one of the things that's so frustrating to me is that people will, a lot of people will look at this and they will go, yeah, I, you know, I just don't know if I'm fully on board with like all this trans stuff. I don't really get it. And so they just kind of quietly sit back and go, well, I guess these policies aren't bad, but really it's, it comes down to, to the principle. You don't have to get it to understand that a group of people shouldn't be targeted and tormented simply for who they are. You know, you, the, banning trans people from, from public restrooms, what, what does that do? What is, the, what is the point here? We had this discussion, we had this debate over and over. In 2016, This that was a big thing that North Carolina tried to push it. And in the years since then, there hasn't been some massive increase in bathroom related assaults or anything like that. Now they don't even point to, you know, violence in, in restrooms. They just go, well, we don't want trans people in, in restrooms because we don't like them you know we, we don't get them we don't understand them and i and i really hope that that more people will set aside whether they fully get it well because you don't have to get it you don't have to understand it to understand that what's happening right now a group being targeted is wrong i mean it's just a principle thing it's yeah. you know uh and and you'll see a lot of stats that get that pushed out when the washington post wrote a story about how the support for 
and the Republican anti-trans policies, one of the things they cited, they were like, well, 52% of Americans don't believe that you could be a gender other than what you are at birth. Like as though that has anything to do with legal rights or, or anything like that, because it doesn't. I mean, and, and that would be an absurd way to, to measure that. Imagine being like, well, uh, 30% of Americans aren't, aren't Christian. So, you know, I, I guess we should, you know, they, they think Christianity should be illegal. Like, obviously that would, wouldn't make sense. And we wouldn't even entertain something like that. But when it's a small group that we almost never hear from, that is always being targeted, that is always being painted as monsters. I mean, I haven't seen any of the big, like trans rights groups or LGBT rights groups weigh in in a big way. Like no one was like, yeah, Leah Thomas, she should be able to race whoever, whenever. It was the the position was always groups like the NCAA are free to make whatever policies they want to make. The Olympics can make what policies they want to make. Pro sports can do that too. This shouldn't be something that Republicans in state legislatures are enacting bans on and making it go down to kindergarten. You know, the, I, I think that's actually things. a great point. I, it's a fantastic point. And it's because so much of it is manufactured. Yeah. I mean, we know that that even if even if a slight majority of Americans say they maybe don't understand fully trans people in a way that that they can explain. We see that a super majority of Americans strongly favor adding more protections for transgender Americans from discrimination. And the only way Republicans get around that is by creating these false divisions of asking them what they think about sports, bathrooms, Mm -hmm. schools, and creating these wedge issues, just like they've done in the past on other social issues. And they're false dichotomies. It's just to make people forget that at the end of the day, what they're asking you is will you be complacent as we take rights away from these people? Yeah, and and I think that as we've seen with in in the post Dobbs world, we've seen how they will. There's an effort to use wins in one area to take away rights for people in other areas. A lot of the the defenses of the anti-trans laws that are being passed are, are citing things in the Dobbs decision. The, the the stuff about there not being, you know, whether there was a part of our nation's history and, you know, tradition, stuff like that. Like all of that stuff comes from the Dobbs decision and all of it is is connected because what, you know, trans rights essentially come down to bodily autonomy yep. and same thing when it when it comes to abortion and same thing when it comes to a whole host of things. And so that's why I really hope that more people set aside whether they get it. It's OK not to get it. You know, you don't and the trans people aren't actually going to to bite your head off if you mess up a pronoun like that's these things are it, it's 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 hard to kind of push back against a lot of the stereotypes, you know, yeah. but I, I think that people need to understand that these these issues are connected. And what I think trans people want just as much as anyone wants is just to be able to live their lives in peace. You know, not, most trans people are not trying to figure out how they can win you know, a WNBA championship or, you know, I like, I don't care if, if a, a kid ends up being trans. I just hope that if, if a, a, someone is trans, that they get the support and the help they need, you know, that's, that's all anyone wants. All of this, like, oh, you're trying to recruit stuff. It just doesn't make sense. 
Well, it's it's the Republican Party, so it's safe to say if they're saying it, it doesn't make sense. Parker, you you have to promise you'll come back and chat with us again because this has been really fascinating. Yeah, of and, course. And in the time we've got left, let folks know how they can find you and where they can read your Substack because I encourage people to do it. Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter slash X slash whatever Elon Musk is calling it this week. Uh, at Parker Malloy, P-A-R-K-E-R-M-O-L-L-O-Y. And my substack is at read T-P-A, as in the present age. So read tpa.com. And uh, yeah, you can people can subscribe for free. I usually send out about three or four newsletters a week. I don't know how you keep up the pace, honestly. It's incredible. That was my guest, writer Parker Malloy, and definitely go follow her over on Twitter and on Substack. You will not regret it. You're listening to SiriusXM Progress. Stick around. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. You care about ethics in government, criminal justice reform, a conflict-free federal judiciary? I thought so. On Justice Matters, we take on issues involving the need to reform our government and its institutions. And we talk about real, achievable reform. I hope you'll join us. Look for Justice Matters wherever you usually get your podcasts. Howdy, folks. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Sirius XM Progress. Tell me everything. I am Max Burns sitting in for John Fugelsang. And if Chris will let me here, we're going to try and take a couple more calls before the end of the hour. I want to jump over to Mike in Michigan, who has been waiting forever to, to chat about Trump and his thoughts on how Trump can get out of his indictments. Yeah, Max, I, I, I'd like to become uh, Donald Trump's lawyer, except he'll never pay me anyway. So, but uh, well, he's he's I, in need. So put your resume in. I, <laughs> I think I don't have a resume anyway. I think I could get him out of it, though. I, this What's your plan? He pleads insanity. Okay, he's, he's innocent because of insanity. I mean, anybody who's you know thinks he won the last election has got to be crazy. I mean, it's it's insane. He's sixty uh, court cases. And he still thinks he won. What? Anyway, 
this guy, uh, this guy Swami, uh, he's he's a real piece of work. I mean, when he was on Meet the Press, you know, he he said Mike Pence did the wrong thing. You know, he said he would he would have another election. What do you he did. He said if if he was vice president, he he, he would have passed uh, legislation legislation that he wasn't able to pass. We actually have a clip of this. Let's let's give it a listen. Okay. Uh, let me bring up a couple questions you didn't get a chance to answer at the debate. Most of the candidates on stage Wednesday night said Mike sure. Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Do you agree? I would have done it very differently. I think that there was a historic opportunity that he missed to reunite this country in that window. What I would have said is this is a moment for a true national consensus where there's two elements of what's required for a functioning democracy in America. One is secure elections, and the second is a peaceful transfer of power. When those things come into conflict, that's an opportunity for heroism. Here's what I would have said. We need single day voting on election day. We need paper ballots and we need government issued ID matching the voter file. And if we achieve that, then we have achieved victory and we should not have any further complaint about election integrity. So what would, so what I would, would have you driven have done through the Senate? So what would you have done as, with Mike Pence? You would have so not capacity, certified the election? So in, in my capacity as president of the Senate, I would have led through that level of reform. Then on that condition, certified the election results, served it up to the president, yeah. President Trump, then to sign that into law. And on January 7th, declared the re-election campaign pursuant to a free and fair election. I think that was a missed opportunity, but that's the kind right. of spirit we're gonna need to unite this country rather right. than sweeping those concerns under the rug. Goodness, I, I'm not sure Vivek realizes that the vice president doesn't actually get to introduce any legislation to Congress, and he definitely can't just pass whatever he wants by himself. I mean, this is an idea that you noted is is literally so stupid that even Elon Musk's Twitter flagged Vivek's post as being misinformation. So like, just imagine how wrong you have to be for Elon Musk to say, wow, that's stupid. If he would have tried that, you think that would have brought unity? Well, you kidding? All my votes have been down the toilet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you would have had another election after the fact that we just went through that. That's nuts. And this is the guy who wants kids to take a civics test to vote. So maybe he needs to brush up a little bit on that myself. Thank you so much for your call, Mike. I really appreciate it. I think the insanity defense has a real shot here. I mean, that's the least insane thing he's done. Anyone who thinks Mar-a-Lago is worth half a billion dollars, clearly insane. Let's also uh, jump over and chat with Brian in Oregon, who has some thoughts on gerrymandered districts and how we can oh, hi, push hi, back Max. against that. I'm kind of I'm switched. I got to first of all, thanks, Chris, uh, for coming in on Chris in California. Uh, that that guy was amazing. Uh, that was a brawl. Libertarian. And I, I, I wonder if he knows what kind of fertilizer Chris was talking about. Probably not. Well, he Ammonium he nitrate. Timothy right, McVeigh. And all that, I, you know, I, f I feel bad because, you know, for the bulk of his call, he was, you know, he's a passionate person. And you could tell that, like, Max, nearly you had him almost you agreeing had him on the with some, some broad <laughs> things before I came flying in off the turnbuckle and, you know, ruined the match. <laughs> and one did the macho man. One thing that wing nut, I had no idea there was such a thing as an automatic shotgun. Or a semi-automatic shotgun, and that this adds another list of something that needs to be banned in my book. Ban an automatic shotgun, and he didn't know an AR-15 was an assault rifle. Compared, you know what the bans talked about. 
No, he didn't seem to have a, a strong grasp on his own state's laws either. So that was that was kind of a stumbling point out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, on, on the gerrymandering, I, I Max, you're, Max, you're a um, strategist, Democratic strategist. I'm, I'm trying. Mind, I keep thinking that the uh, in back to Mississippi and, and a lot of these other states. I think these gerrymandered districts have suppressed over time. A democratic and uh, un, you know unregistered voters that figure there's no what's the point, and to me it's an untapped resource that needs to be at least trying trying to be revigorated. And I think also reality in their states, uh, telling them what they're showing them, what what's been going on in their name in the state legislature to all Republicans and uh, Democrats in the, in these districts. No, I think it's it's absolutely right. I mean, it takes us back to talking about the march on Washington from from nine o'clock, where uh, I mentioned part of what they wanted to do was use the federal government and the Fourteenth Amendment to deny federal funds to states that were promoting discrimination. And what is more discriminatory than a state like Georgia that's thirty one percent black or Mississippi that's forty percent black yet has all white state leadership? has a vast majority of districts that are designed explicitly to keep black voters out of power and to keep Democrats out of power. Republicans make no distinction between the two, which shows you about how far their thought goes. Yeah. And they've been stealing money that's been gone, supposedly been going to the supposed to go to the Jackson, Mississippi's water system. And they've been building uh, be- beautiful white suburb- suburbs for the white flight the, uh, in, in, out of Jackson. And just the whole thing is just to me is so obscene. And I just, as Chris knows, I've been saying it for a while. I can't get Mississippi out of my head. Now it is certainly it is certainly a a stunning situation. And the mask is off. I mean, you have Republicans now in one of these states just elected its first black mayor in 169 years, and the first thing they did was literally lock him out of off out of his office so that he couldn't perform the functions of the job. I mean, it doesn't get much more explicit than that. Yeah, exactly. And that was in Alabama, some little place. And uh, to me, that oh, there needs to be some humanity in the streets uh, in uproar. And I think we're the we're the goddamn decent white folk. It, it begs the question. I mean, and that was uh, I was talking about Patrick Braxton, the man who was elected mayor in New Bern, but that was back in November 2020, and they have. The 133 people in that town have worked together to keep him out of office this entire time. I mean, explain to me how the Department of Justice hasn't jumped in on that. Exactly. Yeah. Where is uh, what's her name? Benita Gufta is the um, civil rights part of the Justice Department. Yep, the Civil Rights Division. And she's the one that everybody was holding up because they were terrified of her. You know, Tom Cotton and these other wingnuts in the confirmation. And I don't know what the hell's going on there myself. It's it's bizarre. No, I, I absolutely agree. And the sad thing is this represents progress from where we were under the Biden administration, if you can call it that. I mean, I'll take any wins we have, but they are sadly few and far between. And with the Supreme Court the way we have it, we cannot expect them to stand on any principle when it comes to gerrymandering. Oh, yeah, it's it. They're... <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, uh, they're blowing in the wind for another, what, 40 years, 30, 25 years or something. Oh, I hope not. Well, I, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for your time.
And we will we'll definitely follow up on this. I mean, there is no shortage of gerrymandering stories to tell. Now, we have just a couple minutes before the break, but I want to jump to Bill in New Jersey, who's also been on hold for quite a while. Bill, how are you? Hey, how you doing? What'd you do with John? I'm doing well. Well, he is uh, taking They finally wore him out, man. He's getting a little rest and uh-huh. relaxation before fighting the good fight uh-huh. again. Uh huh. So if he's tied up in the corner, he'll tap his leg twice, right? Anyway, I told him to blink uh, if he needs more water. <laughs> right. Uh, just one thing, a couple things about that guy, Ramaswamy. He's an idiot. He's going to fire 75% of the federal government. The federal government has 24 million workers. That would be laying off 18 million people. The federal government is the second largest part of our GDP after us consumers. It's more than the financial sector. Our government is a big spender, and we get a lot for it. So he's insane on that. And no one ever called him out on he was talking about solving the problem with Ukraine, and he would do the same solution where they ended the war in Korea. And they never ended the war in Korea. It was never a declared war. It was police action. Yeah. And it's still considered to be an ongoing war. It's just there's been a uh, ceasefire. So that's another moron. I don't think he could pass a uh, citizenship test, you know. Um, I'm but, not sure uh, he knows where he is most of the time, to be honest with you. Well, you know, we've only had one president who was not did not serve in government before, and that was Trump. The only thing closest to that was, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Hoover, Herbert Hoover, who briefly served on uh, Harding's cabinet as the Commerce Secretary yeah. before he became uh, a president. But so who thinks what Trump did was a great idea to have somebody who has no idea how the government works and thinks that, that the government is a, a, a corporation and has to make money somehow? When it's that is the Republican Party for you to a T. I, I, we got to jump to a break. I appreciate your call, but you're absolutely right. Nothing like a campaign where you promise a, an employment recession on your first day in office. So we're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Sirius XM Progress. Stick around. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, folks, Max Burns here. This is Tell Me Everything. I'm sitting in for John. We have just a real quick segment here before the top of the hour. And I want to come back to Mitch McConnell, because the reality is what we saw today in Covington, Kentucky, where Mitch McConnell struggled to speak and couldn't move. This isn't new. This happened just 35 days ago in Washington. 
reality is McConnell is 81 years old. He's clearly in poor health, though he's never cared enough about transparency to actually tell the American people what's going on. Publicly, Republicans keep saying there's nothing to see here, but the guy can't even move. He looks he needs to be led away by aides. And then they politely ask the media to please not ask too many questions about McConnell's personal life. I mean, listen, I wish McConnell the best in his recovery, but at some point we have to think about the health of our country. And before anyone accuses me of ignoring this problem with Democrats, I wrote a whole piece for MSNBC that talked about how Dianne Feinstein has already become a really bold example of what happens when our parties care more about protecting lawmakers than giving good government to the people. And let's not forget these people are unapologetically lying to you about how bad this situation is. Well, folks, that has been our show. It has been an absolute pleasure to spend three hours with you tonight. I've appreciated all of your calls. I've appreciated all of the notes, all of the tweets to Twitter. I'm Max Burns, and you are indeed listening to Tell Me Everything, where I'm sitting in for the one and only John Fugel saying this week. You're listening to SiriusXM Progress. 